Welcome back to Tamblini's Top of Mind Podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Elkani, and I'm joined today by a higher education technology thought leader, Jason Parkhill, the Interim Chief Information Officer at Colby. Jason and I will be discussing how COVID has driven innovation at Colby and also forced the institution to consider potential inequities on campus. Thanks for joining us today, Jason. Hi, Caitlin, I'm glad to be here, thank you. Jason, tell us about yourself and more about Colby. Sure, so Colby's a selective liberal arts college. We're uh, located on Mayflower Hill in Waterville, Maine, so in the central Maine area. We have an enrollment of around um, 2,000 students, uh, and that has been pushing the upper boundaries of that recently, which have caused a number of different challenges. Um, And we offer only undergraduate degrees, only uh, BAs, um, and we are exclusively an undergraduate institution. Thank you for that background, Jason. You and I had a conversation prior to us doing the podcast about how COVID really changed some of the ways you were looking at technology at Colby. Can you share what some of the early realizations that you had were about how you were handling your tech stack? Oh, absolutely. So just a a quick little anecdote about maybe a a unique aspect of our experience with COVID is that the way that we... um, our uh, academic year is scheduled. We have a January term. And often during January, our students will travel abroad for classes or, or for courses for credit. And we had a not insignificant number of students who had traveled to China during January. And when they returned at the end of January, we made the decision to have them quarantine for two weeks in a local hotel where the college um, put them up. So my group, at the, t- at the time I was leading the academic technology group. And so my group had to scramble and, and uh, collaborate with our Center for Teaching and Learning to really understand how we could get these students started remotely from the hotel mm. during our spring semester. So it was kind of a, uh, a practice run for what was to come, although at the time we never never suspected it. And then as uh, those students, just as those students were really coming back into the classroom, it was just days and weeks later where we were Colby, like the rest of higher ed, really had that to make that decision to pivot towards an emergency remote teaching um, uh, mode. And uh, the way that it worked for us was that um, we had effectively two weeks of runway leading up to our remote teaching effort. So we, uh, on campus instruction stopped right around spring break and we had two weeks to really prepare with our faculty colleagues for what this was going to look like when the remote instruction began uh, at the uh, end of March. So there was um, a lot of early realizations that came to us pretty quickly then. As all of our students were departing campus, when our students are on campus, we can to some degree level the playing fields in terms of resources 
that are available to all of them. But as our students began to leave campus, we quickly, quickly realized that they were headed off into many different kind of home living situations that were far different than what we could provide here on campus. So we had to um, develop programs so that students could petition for um, uh, reimbursement for high-speed internet access wherever they were going. Some we had to even send with cellular hotspots just because there was really no other option for them where they were, they were going. We also realized very quickly that our entire model being a residential college depended on students having access to our computational resources that were on campus, which was effectively cutting all of them off to our computer classrooms, our computer labs, and uh, the other uh, resources that we had on campus. So uh, in, in that world, a lot of our software licensing is tied up with licensing the, um, the software suites for use on college-owned computers, so institutional hardware. And there's really no, there was really no stipulation for being able to then, uh, you know, allow the students to install it on their own computers. Now, fortunately, many of the big academic software vendors stepped up and they made some adjustments during that uh, emergency remote teaching period to allow our students to install things. So like Adobe and SPSS and, and those other things that uh, typically the institution would license. So we were able to solve some of that that way, but we also needed to very quickly um, we realized very quickly that we needed to look into uh, virtual desktop um, services so students could log into a computer and run software in a web browser um, and uh, those, kinds of, those kinds of things. We also realized very quickly that video was going to be a much more important part of instruction in the remote uh, teaching era, right? So both synchronous and asynchronous video. Uh, so we did a lot of preparation with our faculty on how to use Zoom for synchronous interactions and then how to use other recording, screen recording, lecture recording to be able to provide um, uh, a material to the students asynchronously. All of this was happening in a very short period of time. Jason, were some of these projects already on the the roadmap or was COVID forcing you to undertake projects much sooner than you would have otherwise? You know, I think it was really a combination of both. And um, I will say that uh, by the time the summer of 2020 arrived and we uh, realized that we would be headed into a modified academic year in 2020 and 2021, we certainly accelerated some of the projects that we would have otherwise probably have done in the year or years to come. So an example of that would be, uh, we very quickly during the summer of 2020, um, selected and implemented an enterprise video content management system. In our case, uh, that was the, the platform Kaltura. Uh, we, you know, most colleges in our sort of peer group probably have a, uh, a platform like that that they have adopted, not all, but most. Um, we were probably headed that way no matter what, but it, we certainly accelerated it and got it done in short order during that summer of 2020. Uh, another one was our efforts around virtual desktop 
um, interface or, or desktop as a service type um, uh, uh, product. So we uh, implemented during the, the, the spring term, uh, the Aporto uh, VDI service, uh, which is a platform as a service uh, product and um, use that throughout the academic year to be able to give some of our students who, even though we were back in person in the fall, we understood that there were going to be many students off to quarantine, isolation at various times as our testing uh, and contact tracing dictated. Uh, so we still needed to be able to make sure that those students would have remote access to a lot to these resources that we provided on campus. So definitely accelerated some of our um, projects that we had in the works. But other things we probably would never have done um, if, if it hadn't been for COVID. So I think like a lot of peers, um, we went through the sort of the dance of assigning various Zoom licenses to faculty members as they needed it for synchronous teaching and so forth. But ultimately, um, we ended up just with an enterprise license to uh, provide everybody with the full Zoom capability. And you, you know, you want to think about some um, some changes that COVID brought about brought about that will probably never go away. Mm -hmm. I, I suspect uh, dependence on or use of Zoom is going to be one of those things. Video conferencing in general is probably going to be much more prevalent in our future than it was in our past. How did you decide how to prioritize these projects, Jason? Because things were so rushed, right? It was pretty high stress. People were working probably past 100% capacity, you know, what did you use? How did you decide to prioritize? Well, I felt very, I feel very fortunate that I have a really talented group of academic technologists and uh, uh, within the academic technology group. And then more broadly, a very experienced and dedicated uh, team in our information technology services organization more broadly. So on the, on the academic technology side, we really huddled early in the summer of 2020, looked at what our experience was in that spring of 2020, and decided on what we thought needed to be our top priorities heading into the fall, trying to be careful not to bite off much more than we could chew, considering that some of these were pretty big projects that would typically have been implemented over a period of time much longer than the abbreviated three months that we had during uh, the summer of, of 2020. So just drawing on our experience, consulting with our uh, colleagues in the provost's office and the Center for Teaching and Learning, we were able to develop a list of, I believe, three or four priorities that we absolutely needed to address as we progressed on from the spring experience into the 2020-2021 academic year. Did you face any challenges implementing these solutions so quickly? We certainly did. And really one of the challenges was we were doing this at a time that many others were also doing it, right? So for example, um, when we implemented, implemented the Kaltura uh, uh, platform, you know, 
they were seeing service, their, their uh, demands on their service and um, uh, new customers coming at them from all over the place. So I feel like we got very good service from them, but it's just everybody was stretched mm-hmm. to the point. Not just us at the college, but a lot of these vendors being able to get their attention, their time, and expertise at the same time that everybody else was also trying to do so, and at the same time that maybe some of the supporting technologies were facing extremely challenging um, supply lines. Mm-hmm. Um, it was really a challenge to try to bring all this together in a timely manner and have it mostly ready to go at the beginning of the fall semester. And there were some rough edges, right, as we started up uh, in the fall around some of these services, just simply because we did not really have them refined to the level that we usually like to have things, right? And I know that for some faculty colleagues, that probably left a bad taste in their mouth and it might be a while before they come back to them. But that being said, overall, I think it was very successful given the challenges, the constraints, and especially the time period that we were operating over. So earlier in our discussion, I brought up the fact that you had mentioned some inequities that you found on campus. I'd love to hear more about those. How did this process of of moving to more virtual learning you know, force you into really looking at inequities and, and make the institution act. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it, it really drove home to me the importance of the residential experience at Colby. I mean, I've worked at Colby for quite a while. And before Colby, I worked at uh, another residential liberal arts college and I attended a residential liberal arts college. So it was something that perhaps maybe I was taking for granted, but really one of the great things about the residential experience is that we can sort of uh, take off the sharp edges of inequities. That's not that they don't exist on our campuses. They absolutely do. And there can be um, extremely pronounced in some areas, but one of the things that we do hope to do by bringing everyone together in, in the residential experience is that we can provide a level of resources to everybody that is generally the same, regardless of their background or what they bring uh, to, to the college. Now, when we sent all the students uh, remote, that changed dramatically. Now, their ability to participate in a Zoom session or their ability to be able to watch some kind of high quality video stream is all up in the air, right? We don't, we no longer have control over that, right? Mm -hmm. A lot of it depends on the type of computer, its age, the type of internet connection they have, wherever it is they are studying from, um, where we can kind of level that field when they're all here, Uh, on campus. And it really just threw into sharp relief those inequities um, that the residential experience can help iron out a little bit, but are always there. Mm -hmm. Um, So it was just really uh, uh, revealing. And and we we, we had to pay a lot of close attention to um, developing ways to support students while they were remote in ways that we never had to do, uh, obviously, 
when they were here, here on campus. And even the modes of instruction, right, are very different, right? Um, so students remotely um, not attending class, not having access face-to-face -face, uh, with, with faculty, but I think even in some ways, more importantly, not having that face-to-face -face interaction with their peers around the classwork, right? That's another thing that I think that we, we take for granted is how much peer learning happens because of the residential experience, that students are working together, they are studying together, they are getting together every day, every, you know, during the evening to um, collaborate on projects and, and coursework. And with that removed, that really affected some students more significantly um, um, than others. And that's really hard to replicate. You can put together Zoom study groups, you can encourage them to attend those, but still the informal interactions that the residential experience um, uh, enables kind of with that removed exasperated some of the, the, the challenges that some of our students would have. Jason, now that vaccines are available, we're looking at more reopening. What does the fall look like for you? Has the pace of change continued the same way now that we're you know, coming into this next school year? Well, I'll say as I sit here on June 15th, we are anticipating and optimistic that we will have a fairly normal fall semester. And what I mean by that is students back, most of our community vaccinated and guests allowed back on campus and um, a lot of uh, uh, things that were really disrupted last year just returned to normal. So we're all optimistic about that. Of course, everybody has sort of side glancing at some of these variants that are out there and so forth and, uh, and wondering how that, that is all going to play out. I will say that, you know, so far this summer, uh, compared to last summer, uh, it has not been as anxiety inducing, considering that we're at least planning for a normal fall semester where uh, last summer, uh, there was a certain intensity mm -hmm. that was pervading the entire institution that was, uh, that was certainly, certainly new. Um, I will say that a lot of my thinking, a lot of the thinking of many of my colleagues across uh, other, you know, our, our peers in private liberal education, uh, right now, we're all dwelling on this question of what's going to carry on? What did we learn during COVID that we want to, we want to proactively or actively make sure that we continue that that, that was good, you know? Now, one of the things that I, that I think was just um, really interesting uh, to me is to see uh, how quickly and ably many of our faculty adapted to those new, those new modes of teaching. And there were things that they did that in talking with them, I think they're going to want to continue. And that will cause some challenges uh, for us in uh, information technology. So, you know, for example, um, we had a pretty modest lecture capture pilot before COVID, but now that so many of our faculty members have had experience with recording uh, their presentations in the classroom, 
and understanding how that can help students that are maybe not a English as a first language speaker to go back and review, mm -hmm. maybe even how some of the auto transcription works uh, with that so students can go back and search uh, for when something was said and rewatch it and so forth. I know we're gonna have a lot more interest in continuing some of those practices. And it's going to be um, interesting to me to see um, uh, you know, what it is our faculty uh, want to continue on with here. I think that will be interesting, Jason, to see. And in some ways, it probably would be a very positive thing for everyone to continue because it may help students, as you mentioned, who have English as a second language, students who have learning differences, who might be less, you know, less auditory learners and need to watch things a few times, could be some great benefits of continuing with the, the video capture and making that available. Yep, absolutely. That goes into my next question, which was, are you gonna keep all these changes? I mean, so I'm assuming you're also gonna be keeping the, the virtual desktop interfaces too. Well, you know, that's some of the questions that we're working through right now. I mean, some of, you know, in terms of the way some of these services were paid for, it was really from uh, an emergency COVID fund. And now we're going through the challenge of saying, okay, do we still need these services? And in most cases, yes, we do. They've become popular. And uh, how are we going to pay for them going forward longer term, right? Are they sized correctly for what we need? We need to ask all of those questions and work through um, all of those issues now. And as we've been planning for next year's uh, budget, we have been um, working through you know, a lot of that. And just, you know, th there are other questions. Well, you know, we're hoping for a fall that's pretty much a return to face-to-face -face instruction. Like a lot of our peers um, on the administration side, uh, we're, we're working through um, bringing uh, administrators and other remote workers that have been working remotely um, back to campus. And then considering, you know, what does the future of work look like yeah. for the staff of the college as well? in terms of hybrid and remote mm -hmm. and so forth. Um, that all those are conversations that are going on, not just at Colby, but really across higher ed um, that, that many of us are, are facing right now. And I think it's particularly challenging at a residential liberal arts college like Colby and like you know, many others where we, pay, we, we place an absolute premium on the face-to-face -face experience really across the board. You know, there would, you know, if we didn't, we wouldn't put so many resources into our campuses, into our residential program. So there is going to be, I think, a, um, a period of working out what that looks like. Some of that I think will be directed by local culture, but I think at some point, some of it's just going to be probably influenced by larger market dynamics on uh, you know, uh, recruitment and in, in how employees uh, want to work in the future, um, particularly um, uh, in IT type roles, information technology roles, where um, um, there has even before COVID been some, I guess, uh, tradition of the you know, possibility of remote work. 
interesting is that I've been reading that there's a huge movement now of people quitting because they're not allowed to work remotely. And it's like more people have been quitting their jobs than they have been in the past 20 years when their employer said, you have no choice but to be back in person. And that's, you know, that's pretty significant. And then if you look at the positive side of allowing remote work is that maybe it opens up more pools of talent to you that may not be locally available. So there's the positive and the negative side of, of having to be in person. Yeah, there, there certainly is. And, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, the big picture of how COVID really affects how, how we work and what our workforce looks like. I've, I've also just anecdotally observed, you know, kind of the, the number of um, retirements that have been happening here as, as sort of the pandemic is becoming to a close. I think the whole experience has given many people right on that cusp of retirement. Uh, a moment to reflect on what's important and what they really uh, want to do um, in the, the the years to come. Now that we are exiting um, the pandemic, but you know, also uh, even within sort of the um, the, the the residential uh, liberal arts college community, it was I believe at the end of April or maybe it was at the end of March that I saw for the first time. Uh, a job ad go out for an IT professional that gave the fully remote option, as in they could be anywhere, not just uh, local with a hybrid type arrangement, but anywhere. And that just, you know, the light went off in my mind then is, you know, this is the market that we will be competing in uh, in years to come. I agree, Jason. Thank you. This has been a wonderful conversation. I appreciate all of your insights and the really the experience and the journey you've gone through is, is fascinating. I'm sure a lot of our listeners have experienced something similar. I really enjoyed our talk today. Thanks for the opportunity, Caitlin. I enjoyed it quite a bit too. That concludes this episode of Tambellini's Top of Mind podcast. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back next month with another great speaker and topic. And you can check out all of our podcasts, blogs, and other free resources at thetambellinigroup.com, as well as our member-only resources.